Hello, everybody, and welcome to It Takes a Village. My name is Nikki, and I'll be your moderator today. We've also got um, uh, Jeremy and Sharon, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Go ahead, Jeremy. Tell us about yourself a little bit. Sure. So Jeremy here. Um, I am currently a RBT working towards my BCBA licensure um, with Cadient. I'm happy and excited to be a part of this podcast um, and and given the opportunity to just speak about my experience as a Black person in the field, as a Black man in the field. Um, and I'm just excited to to share my thoughts and, and hear the thoughts of my colleagues and my peers in regards to what we deal with um, on a daily basis, just waking up being Black. Mm. That's what's up. Pronouns he, him? He, him. That's correct. All right. Thank and you for asking. Um, I'm Sharon. I'm a BCBA. I live in Sacramento, California. Um, like Jeremy said, I'm super excited to be here and discuss these really important um, issues. And yeah, I think it's it's about time. <laughs> and so I'm really excited. Awesome. Pronouns, please. Uh, she, her. Awesome. And how long have both of you been in the field? Sharon, go ahead. I've been in the field for about five, six years. I have been in the field for about three to four years. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm the baby here. <laughs> How um, long have you been in the field? I've been in the field for, I want to say, I'm coming up on my third anniversary, and I'll go ahead and introduce myself too. Hello, my name is Nikki. Um, I work for Cadient over in the Portland area. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm the moderator. And um, yeah, pronouns she, her. And I'm sure you'll learn a lot more about me. <laughs> so um, is there anything else anybody wants to add before we uh, get to our first talking point? Um, everybody did say where they are and I didn't. So I just want to throw out that I am in the ATL. Um, <laughs> very important. Everybody should know. Okay. And for people who don't know what that is. <laughs> Atlanta. Atlanta. <laughs> All right. Just, just checking. Um, no so, good call. So, let's we'll start in. off. What'd you say? I said, let's dive in. Let's yeah. do it. So, um, first off, I wanted to talk about something relevant to all of us. It's impacted our lives greatly from top to bottom and bottom back up again. It's uh, stressed everybody in society out. Let's talk about COVID. Um, so COVID has been going on for just about a year now. And um, ABA is... At least with Cadient, ABA is very, it, it's been very hands-on. We've been in home, we've been in clinics working one-on-one -on -one with clients in person. And then when um, COVID hit, it, ha it went to virtual and it um, went to, you get, you may have gotten some of your clients taken away because they wanted to distance or they didn't want you seeing other clients that they didn't know and you know, stuff like that. Um, it really turned the industry on its head. And I wanted to hear your experiences about it. Sharon, you first. Okay. So, yeah, I was definitely affected by um, COVID with, with the coronavirus. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of our 
clients transitioned from direct sessions to telehealth. Some clients were placed on hold and it really did like shake the industry. And for me personally, I had to go on a mini furlough. So that's how I was directly impacted. Um, but it's been a little difficult. Um, for me during my furlough, it was for what I consider to be kind of like the height of like the Black Lives Matter movement. And this was kind of during the summertime. And uh, so during this time, like you would think that this is a break time to relax. But honestly, like with everything going on, it was definitely not a vacation for me. (laughs) So um, it was definitely a really crazy time. And uh, it was difficult to transition from that back into work. And uh, it's interesting because I got a lot of questions like when I came back of like, oh, how was your furlough? Like, I'm sure you had a great time. How amazing. You're, you're so lucky you had a break. Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, it was, I didn't feel like I was able to like give them the real like experience. And so my response was like, it was great. And just left it at that. Mm. But, um, yeah, that was that was my experience. How about you, Jeremy? Um, that's that is very significant, and and I I can definitely understand why you give the response that that generalized response of just oh it was great because it's so taxing, right? To have to explain your experience exactly. over and over and over. So I definitely get that. Um, it was definitely interesting for me too. I was starting with Cadient right around the time that COVID was really starting to take off. Okay. Um, so my transition into going into the homes, which is not something that I had done prior to coming to Cadient, um, was unique. <laughs> um, so I, ha- I had to personally get used to being in someone else's home, delivering services, making sure that I am taking the necessary precautions. And of course, Katie did a great job of um, putting things into play to make it easy for us. But there's still an adjustment that you have to personally make because you're not used to these things. Um, luckily, I had some great families who, you know, roll with the punches. Uh, but it definitely was an experience. Um, in that time, I also transitioned into servicing schools, which are, which is a whole other ball game. Um, because man, that's you're going from servicing one kid in the home to several in the classroom setting. Um, so if you can imagine all the COVID concerns that are going on there, <laughs> um, it can get pretty wild. We had a couple of scares a couple of times, and it's 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 been draining. Is it COVID and exhausting? And so, again, I understand why it's like when people ask you how you're doing, you just you're like, I'm good. We don't know where to start. Do you want to know or do you just want like me to say I'm good? And and, yeah. Yeah, man, I will go now. So um, I been with a Cadient. Well, Cadient bought my parent company right around a couple months before COVID, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And um, 
So we were with them. Everybody's insurance has changed. And then COVID hit like four months later and it was really rough. Like not only was I like out of insurance at the time, well, because because of my parent company stuff. But um, yeah, I was out of insurance at the time. I was trying to get more hours Then COVID hit and then that became impossible. So I was in at the beginning of COVID, I had no insurance at all. And I was scared. I needed like an inhaler. I um, was afraid that I was going to get COVID and have no way to take care of myself um, because of the lack of insurance. And um, I had... I think like three clients and I lost two of them because one wanted to distance and then the other two didn't want me seeing the other ones in person. But my kids were um, of the need of in-person, of the need of in-person sessions and um, telehealth was not an option for them. And so I got reduced to one client, which, you know, was hard, but also because school stopped, I was able to see that one client a lot more. And um, I continue to work with her for um, five hours a day. And um, so I've been working with her for five hours a day for four days a week, basically throughout COVID. And it's crazy because COVID was the avenue for which I got more hours than I did before COVID hit. (laughs) So I have been able to, um, you know, sustain my life, which is great. Um, And I'm really grateful that I was able to pick up this many hours with just the one client. Not everybody's that lucky. And um, I was, I've never been out of a job. I haven't had trouble paying my rent because of the one client and her up an hour. So that's been great. Um, but, uh, it's, it's always hard because like you want to stay with your families until their kid graduates, you know, ideally. And I wanted to do that with, for my other kiddos, but that was not an option with COVID. And yeah, I think that's mainly my experience. And continuing on, I was lucky enough to get my first COVID shot yesterday, February 24th. And um, I'm worried that like when school starts back up, I'm going to go back down in hours again. Um, People are saying that there's still a need for there's still a need for technicians and there's been a lot of intake and stuff because of COVID and parents are with their kids more and there's more availability and whatnot. But I'm, I'm just generally worried that people are, there's going to be like a mass loss of hours when school starts back up. And it's, it's kind of one of those inevitable things um, that's going to happen. I'm happy that all of these kids are going to go back to school and start getting socialized again. I'm really excited for everybody to see their friends, but also my paycheck. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we are with uh, COVID. At least that's where I'm at with COVID. Comments? <laughs> so I'm curious to know um, one of the, one of the major things I think, I think we're in a new era you could say of COVID now that we have vaccines available. Nick, you just said that you, you know, took your vaccine. Um, And there are a lot of us, black people, especially who are very resistant Mm -hmm. um, thought even of taking that vaccine. Um, We're scared and legitimately so. 
um, given, you know, what we've dealt with in our past. Um, mm-hmm. Let's, let's actually as- pause right there, if that's okay. Sure. Or re- okay, yeah. So um, there are a lot of Black people resistant to getting the vaccine because of, like, the history and disparages of being Black and dealing with the healthcare system. And... Um, I definitely felt that yesterday when I was at the local convention center trying to get my COVID shot. I want to let you finish your, um, I want to let you finish your thought and then I want to like jump back to this area. <laughs> sure. I mean, and, and that's exactly where I was going with it. Um, all, of, all of the disparities that we've faced and, and had to deal with um, really have Black people concerned about taking this vaccine. And it's significant for us specifically, um, us as in working in, those of us working in this field, because we are around clients all the time. So, I mean, in the ideal world, it's in our best interest to take this vaccine, but you have this element of fear that exists amongst us um, where we're not rushing out to do it. And so... Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like that's also not acknowledged enough when we do talk about the vaccine and put that information out there of, you know, you know, you can get it at this place, you can get it at this place, but there's no recognition that there are certain communities, for example, the black community, where there's a very long history of you know, miss, um, mistreatment. And even now, even we see it with, um, uh, a lot of different things, but basically I, I would personally like to see more acknowledgement and understanding of that of why certain people are not so anxious to, or eager to get this vaccine. It should definitely be a discussion in the workplace. I agree. Um, especially if we're getting to a point where, which I think we will, a lot of places are going to require that you have it. Um, so it's a conversation that we we need to have now so that we can kind of brace for that. I mean, even personally, um, as someone with, with existing health conditions, it's even scarier for me because I'm like, I don't, the research isn't there. The research isn't there on on how this will affect me specifically, um, but I also want to be my healthiest self for my clients and and for my job. Um, so it's been a very interesting space to navigate because honestly, I don't know what to do. I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, have you been asked by another like coworker if you are going to take the vaccine? Have you guys experienced that? Yes. And so I work in the schools um, and it's been a constant conversation amongst the teachers because a lot of them um, who aren't even black feel the same way. They're like, listen, this happened very quickly. This vaccine was put together very quickly. The research is limited. We are scared too. I have a lot of teachers that are pregnant and they're like, I don't want to take any chances. And I totally get it. Um, but yes, the the conversation happens all the time. I'm asked all the time, you know, how do you feel about it? Do you want to take it? And it's another one of those things, um, like you mentioned earlier, Shane, where you're just like, mm, I don't know, because you don't feel like you don't feel like 
talking about it. Yeah, you know, like what your response should be because mm-hmm. you just you don't know if they're going to understand. But I've been in the same situation where I've been asked multiple times, even in sessions from other staff wow. members. And I almost felt like I was kind of put on the spot because I didn't know how to respond. And it's like, do you want me to tell you the history? Like, what? how should I you know, respond to that. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. It should be acknowledged. I think we should be understanding of why people take it and why people don't. Mm-hmm. I, um, can I speak? Are you done with your thoughts? Okay. So, um, I have a quick anecdote. Um, I have been, I believe in science and I have been keeping an eye or an ear on NPR, listening to like the statistics and the, um, the, the test groups and the results and stuff. I've been listening to that all year. And, um, but it's still really scary because this vaccine was very quick to come about. Um, I personally don't believe it was rushed because this has been top priority for months and months because it has been killing so many people. But like also, has it been like like a lot of this was done under the Trump administration, who was actively um, undermining the officials in the U.S. for so long, like how much control did the healthcare officials actually have? And so, uh, yeah, people are really scared. And um, I posted that I had my vaccine appointment on Facebook and my sister hit me up and she's black too. And she's just like, I don't think you need that vaccine. And I was like, oh no, is my sister anti-vax? I'm worried. And then she's just like, no, it was just, it was just really rushed. And like, they're using us as, you know, guinea pigs and, you know, stuff like that. And like, I, I gently just kind of talked to her about it, but like, ultimately we just had to agree to disagree. I'm like, I'm going to get it because I'm an essential worker. And um, I hope you trust it eventually, but I understand why you don't, if you don't. Um, Yesterday I went to the convention center and I got my vaccine and I just being at the convention center was harrowing because of just the race dynamics at the convention center. And like, if you're in the Portland area and you're listening to this, I don't want to freak you out, but I just want to kind of talk about why I was freaked out at the convention center. There's thousands of people there. Um, everybody's like, you know, socially distanced and there it's really well organized. And, but it, it, it just kind of still felt really overwhelming and, I, there were, there was race dynamics there that really worried me. I thought that like, I was worried that I was going to go get the vaccine and I was going to go under the needle of a racist and he was going to stick me in the arm. Like I was a Marine or, you know, just be rude, needlessly, just something. And I was terrified, not of the vaccine, but of the process. Um, I was afraid he was going to stick me and not inject it or, you know, just any number of super irrational things that will is probably not going to happen, but it still didn't make me it still didn't keep me from worrying. And um, so, like, I get out of my car and I have my like little papers and I real I noticed that, like, 
everybody working at the um, everybody working at the convention center is a person of color, mostly black, and everybody who's getting the vaccine is white. I think I saw like hundreds of people were there, and I think only one other person was a person of color like me in the wow. entire line, and everybody administering the shots was white. And everybody who was like pointing people where to go were people of color. And that racial dynamic really freaked me out. I was like, what's going on? Especially since I know that people of color are more, um, they're more, okay, what, what's what's the word? They People of color are more likely to work essential worker fields. So I was like, why is everybody in this line white? What's going on? I like I, I have statistics and data and like I had an idea of what this was going to look like, but it was not at all what anything I had anticipated would look like. And it was really scary. I was in line, it was shaken, I got it, I got my vaccine. My my the shot guy, he was so nice to me. He was really sweet and he answered all my questions. And he didn't he didn't jab me with a needle like I was a Marine. He just like I barely felt it. Um, But and I don't know, I sat in the observation and I just cried. I don't know if it was relief or if I was still just shaken. It was just overwhelming. Just the whole Mm -hmm. thing was overwhelming. I was crying because I was overwhelmed. Um, I'm glad I got the vaccine. I don't regret it at all. But like there's a lot of feelings about COVID and a lot of feelings about the vaccine and like so many of those feelings are valid, you know, just if anybody has any kind of different opinion than mine, then I'm just like, you know what? Fair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All you can really do is do your own research. Mm -hmm. And that's layer too. You mentioned, you know, talking to your sister and it's the same thing with my family. They, they have no interest. Um, So you're, you're having to deal with that as an essential worker. Um, and then on top of that, your job, your coworkers asking you the same questions. There's there's so many elements involved in this. And again, it's exhausting. I know I said that word a thousand times today, but it, it truly is because you're having to navigate all of these spaces on top of the political climate, on top of mm-hmm. just trying to get up and go to work every day. <laughs> and so, I mean, there's just, there's a lot. It's a mm-hmm. lot. So, um in my state, um, all states are different uh, with the, with the rate and the percentages of how they're vaccinating people. But in my state, um, they are basically doing um, the elderly essential workers, and they have like increased to teachers, and they increased to teachers being able to get a vaccine before I was able to get mine as an essential worker, and so it was wigged out because getting still get getting an appointment is still so hard over here. Um, like, do you? Are you guys okay? Like, is getting, is it accessible for you two? Yeah, I would say it's accessible. Um, so I will say that I haven't really looked into it as much as I probably should have, um, as far as getting it myself. What I do know is that Atlanta has seen disparities as well, as far as who has access to the vaccine because a lot of the centers where you can get it are found on the wealthier sides of the city. Um, So for people who are in the lower income areas who don't necessarily have the transportation or the money to get to these other places, 
um, what Atlanta was finding was that the rates are going up in those communities because they don't have access. Um, so if I remember correctly, the mayor instituted um, like a set number of vaccines that are specifically made available to lower income communities so that they can have access to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to do the research and see how that's going because I don't know. But, you know, just uh, reiterating the point that you made earlier about what you saw walking into that convention center makes complete sense to me because that's what we're seeing here um, in a less structured kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would like to chime in. So the first people that I knew personally that got the vaccine were um, like straight passing cis white people in medical school <laughs> um, who worked in the medical field, but were still in like the academic side of it. And so I'm just like, this is terrible. This is terrible reasoning and it's really problematic. But like, I'm just like, okay, if they're going to vaccinate cis straight passing white people, then the vaccine is probably okay because they're not going to give those people, the people with all of the power, a crappy vaccine. <laughs> so that that was like my basis for this is probably okay to take, which is like, yeah. awful, I know, but yeah. yeah, but those, but that's how we have to think, right? Like that's, that's, well, I, I shouldn't say that's how we have to think, but that's a lot of the times how we do think because I mean, that's that's our reality. Right. We we know that they're not going to purposely try to hurt certain populations. Right. So if, if those populations are getting this vaccine, then, of course, it's got to be OK for us. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even that is layered if you really break that down, too. We could. Oh, we extremely. Could <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. Um, any other thoughts on COVID so far and any hopes? I, I just hope <laughs> that we get more data. Mm-hmm. I just hope that we get more data. And I mean, that's probably I guess you can call it cliche as somebody that works in ABA. But <laughs> give me the data. I want it um, because nothing else is really going to convince me. We even had earlier on. Um, we had uh, people who like were a part of research teams and stuff telling us that, you know, black people were a part of the research studies and oh, this doctor, this black doctor is recommending it, using that as a tool to convince us that we shouldn't be scared, which was infuriating. Right. I which, saw that. There's just like one of the lead researchers on the COVID team is black and she's going to be the first one to get the shot. And everybody black at home watching this happening. <laughs> I I saw that and I literally was like this this is just like this is just like the white person that says oh I have a black friend okay (laughs) that's great (laughs) you still did and said some racist stuff so exactly exactly and yeah I agree um for me it's wanting to see more research and doing more research myself to make like Mm -hmm. an educated decision Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm still in the process of that I'm not opposed to it but I just I don't want to like rush and make a decision and feel pressure to have to do something so I'm I'm in the same boat as you Jeremy 
Yeah. Um, I'm just happy that the new administration actually is not undermining the CDC the way that the last administration did. Is the CDC the right company? Yeah. Um, the, the health people. <laughs> That's the CDC. <laughs> yeah, the health people, like... um. Yeah, they were just at last administration just maligning Anthony Fauci and then this administration they're just kind of like, you know, we think you know what you're talking about and Anthony Fauci is just like, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> can, can I can you give me the mic back please? So, um I I heard on NPR that they were doing um racial disparity bleh, racial disparity um, research over in the Portland area. And they're just like, yeah, um, white people are this much more likely and at this rate far more vaccinated than any of the people of color. So we're reaching out to, um, reaching out to community centers and, you know, stuff like that. But, um, I'm just like, um, are you really reaching out to community centers? And if you are reaching out to community centers, which ones are you reaching out to? There are so many community centers. And in the era of COVID, do these community centers have access to people? (laughs) Like, sure, you can reach out to like NARA and you can reach out to um, the API community center. You can reach out to the Q Center. But like, are there people walking through those doors? Right. Are people aware that these resources even exist? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I appreciate the, you know, alleged effort, but I still can't help but side eye the Oregon government because they're, 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 they're doing some, but I still feel like it could have been far better handled. And I wonder if they even care. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, we've got another 15 minutes to talk. But yes, um, I'm enjoying talking about COVID. This is like the first episode is kind of a downer. <laughs> Apologize. <laughs> but I, I feel like this is like, huh? I said, we can definitely move on. Let's let's talk about something else. I'm, yeah, I'm right. exhausted too. <laughs> this is like the the vent center. We're just like, oh man, COVID. But, but it's um, real. This is this this is real life. This is our experience. This is our truth. Yeah. So it's relevant. I think I found a good segue. So um, talking about racial disparities and stuff like that, I wanted to talk about um, BIPOC, just the word and the definition, um, like B-I-P-O-C. Um, it, as far as I've seen, a whole bunch of people think that BIPOC means something different. And of course, Black people are not a monolith and not everybody's going to feel represented by this podcast. But um what do you what is your definition of BIPOC, Jeremy? So interestingly enough, I had to look it up um, again um, a couple of days ago just because the way that it was being used in the context that it was being used in um, when I last heard it was kind of confusing me um, because. For me, when I hear BIPOC, I think of all persons of color, um, not just Black people. And when we're in a space like this, um, where we're specifically, or if we're in a, at a Black Lives Matter rally, where we're specifically talking about the experiences of Black people, I don't personally think that it's appropriate to use BIPOC because mm-hmm. that those aren't, we don't all have the same experiences and we don't all have the same struggles. We don't all experience the same things um, as far as racism is concerned. So for me, when we, when we say BIPOC, we mean 
everyone that has some melanin in their skin. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's what it is for me. What do you think, Sharon? Uh, yeah, I had the same definition of as you. Everyone that you know uh, is not white. Uh, <laughs> um, so like when speaking about Black Lives Matter, I feel like saying the term black is more appropriate than using that because we're talking about a very specific community here. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. That would, that was my definition. Uh, Nikki, what were some of the definitions you heard? So I belong to a Facebook group and, um, somebody asked this to, uh, the community, the, the person of color community in Portland. And I saw all sorts of different answers, um, from all sorts of different races. Um, to me, BIPOC means black and indigenous. Right. Um, so we're talking specifically those, this does not include like the Indian community, the Asian community, Islander community, nobody else, just black and indigenous people of color. Um, though some people that, that was mostly what I saw, but some people are just like, no, it's black, indigenous and people of color. So everybody who's non-white and, but then me, I'm just kind of like, then why don't you just say non-white? people or people of color, which is its own thing, which is basically non-white. <laughs> um, I consider everybody who's non-white to be a person of color. So I personally think BIPOC is just the Black and the Indigenous community. That's it. Um, and then people of color is everybody who's non-white. And that's my personal definition. But like, since everybody has a different definition, it's just kind of hard to use. And um, if you are talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, you may as I, it's hard. I, you may as well say Black or the African diaspora, but um, not everybody who is Black or the African diaspora identify as both. Some of them identify as one or the other, and some of them identify as neither. So um, it's identity is like this big, hard, layered, convoluted thing. Um, and working at Cadian, I've gotten a lot of feedback that that's just kind of like, I am African diaspora and I grew up in, I grew up in the U.S., but I don't identify as black. I identify as mixed or I don't identify as black. I identify as this or that. And so um, I just want to reiterate that while um while it takes a village the podcast is all black led and moderated hello um not everybody is going to feel um included um even though they may look similar or like us or maybe not even not um like looks and identity is just this big old hard thing so um shout out to you out there who um <laughs> who doesn't feel represented i am sorry in advance uh, we are you know just out here doing our best we can't um encapsulate everybody's feelings on um race and identity but we can definitely talk about our experiences and try to be as inclusive as inclusive as we can and also feel free to reach out to us if there is something that you want to say or something that you want to explain or if there's even a topic that you want us to touch on eventually we're going to have our own email and we're going to be easy to access so um 
please go ahead and drop us a line. I, I would love to talk about and like say so-and-so commented that they felt this way. So because we do want to be very inclusive and represent as many people in ABA as possible, especially if they don't identify as us or like us, you know? Comments? And in the same breath, let me just say that even though that will be the case, we will also be very unapologetic in who we are. Um, we yes. will not downplay our blackness. Um, we will not be afraid to speak on our experiences as black people um, because it's a black led podcast with yes. a black moderator and that's what we're here for. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I know we kind of mentioned this uh, yesterday in our meeting, but are, do you guys feel nervous in, in speaking your truth and uh, really not having a filter in how you, you know, communicate your your feelings and your experiences? So it's it's funny because yesterday when we discussed it, I was kind of like, OK, Jeremy, <laughs> make be be cool <laughs> like don't don't flip out on this on this podcast but um, <laughs> i think it was nikki that mentioned that we should be unapologetic and i really you know sat with that and, and marinated with it and i was like this is my opportunity this is my opportunity to be very real your platform exactly my platform to be very real to be vulnerable um and I think that I think that that would be respected. I think that that's what people want to see because we don't get that a lot. Um, we have to censor ourselves so much. Just just being black, you have to censor yourself so much. And I think that people want to see um, us be vulnerable and, and in that space where we're really speaking our our truth or, or speaking truth to power, um, as they say. So. I was, but I am no longer, <laughs> to answer your question, Sharon. That's it. You guys are going to have to help me be more vulnerable because I'm, I'm super vocal in, like, my private life. And, like, with my friends, we have these conversations all the time. But speaking about the stuff in this platform, you know, through mm -hmm. Kaden is very new to me. So I'm going to try my best, but I definitely agree that um, – this is our this is our time, right? To be like our authentic selves. So Absolutely. I definitely want to take advantage of that. And yeah. it's a, it's a safe space, and and know that anything can be a conversation, right? If if something is said and somebody disagrees, let's talk about it. Let's mm -hmm. have the conversation. But understand in that same breath that again, this is my truth. This is who I am. This is my experience, and you just you can't take that away. Exactly. And that's how you create a safe place too for other people totally. of colors to actually talk about these issues and pretend and not pretend that they don't exist. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's also extra exciting because um, none of us live next to each other. I'm in the yeah. Northwest. We got somebody in like the middle of the West Coast. We got somebody all over in Atlanta. So each of our experiences be so different we probably have you know wildly different upbringings in some areas and and so like we're probably even going to hit culture shock talking to each other and so it's um i'm excited to get to know you all better and i'm excited to um, hype you up to help you um be unapologetic and i everything you said is valid like um being unapologetic when you've been taught your whole life to like curb your, put yourself in danger or to you know 
press your hair to get hired at this interview, you know, any of that kind of stuff, like you assimilate in order to make it, it's just kind of, you imprint on it and it's ingrained in you and it's a muscle mm-hmm. that you have to flex to decolonize and to be unapologetic. We're not used to it, but we will work on it together. We will build that muscle. It's a skill that we're going to practice and it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And and yeah. don't worry, Sharon. We're gonna we're gonna pull that vulnerability right on out of you. So <laughs> you just, you just okay. I, I'm I'm looking forward to. I'm excited. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Nikki. I just feel like it's so important to be authentic, and especially in this field, right, where there isn't a whole lot of representation. Mm-hmm. And like for me as a supervisor, like you know, we're aware that there's not a lot of black supervisors. So I feel there's this pressure, right, to have to be a certain way, to talk a certain way. And for me, I want to be authentic to show other people, like, you don't have to, like, fit in this box to move up, you know? Absolutely. Well, this was great, guys. I'm so excited. I am so, so, so excited. This is going to be great and and necessary. Definitely. So um, thank you for coming to our podcast. We're going to record another podcast very soon in like one of the first weeks of March. we are the the podcast is still under construction so i don't know if we have a um i don't know if we have that email yet or if we have that marketing things teams thingy yet but we're going to work on it and um as soon as we have lines to connect with us i will definitely be telling you all in the podcast but um thank you for listening to us we really appreciate it and we hope that we keep your ear please stay with us for the next couple or, you know, stay with us forever, but like stay with us for the the next podcast. We have so much we want to talk about. We've got this huge line of lists, the list of topics, and um, we're all so pumped to talk to everybody about it. So please keep on listening to us and um, we're not going to disappoint. Like we're awesome. So let's, let's do this. Yay. See you guys next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye. This has been a Cadient production.